Something New is supported by listeners like you. Visit joelbnew.com and help this podcast continue to grow, thrive, and be a part of the creative conversation. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 16 of Something New. This is Joel B. New. How's everybody doing? I, I am sitting here on my bed, mixing this episode, which I just finished mixing, um, on Saturday, August 6th. Uh, this episode, if you're listening to it on Sunday the 7th, then you're listening to it on BroadwayWorld.com. Uh, they have an exclusive with me where they release the episodes a full day before the rest of podcast land gets their hands on it. So congrats to you for finding us, and um, thanks in advance for telling other people that they can get these episodes a, a full 24 hours in advance. It's like CBS Sunday morning, but... Um, with me. Uh, let's see. What's been going on the last two weeks? I'm glad you all really liked the Devon episode. I enjoyed that one as well. Um, numbers are nice and healthy for that. Uh, what else has happened in the world since the last episode came out? Um, let's see. Uh, it was my fiance's birthday. Uh, we went and saw Cats in previews, uh, which was a good old walk down memory lane. Um, the dancing is crazy. Um, it's really the spectacle it always has been, um, whether you dig that or not. Uh, we had a lovely time, I am pleased to announce. My friend Laura Brendel has started a Kickstarter on a project that she's choreographing called Cry Eden. I went to the launch party for that, if you want to look that up. Speaking of Kickstarters and things, um, my friend Charles Sanchez is starting the second official season of his web series called Merce, and they just started an Indiegogo campaign, and um, if you, I'll include a link for that in here as well, but, uh, but he's a very, very funny, smart, insightful, sensitive artist who uh, is putting really good, thoughtful work out there, and I think you should all um, support such artists. He um, has original songs in the web series, and this time around, I believe my friend Rob Hartman, my friend and mentor Rob Hartman, is pinning the songs, and um, that is quite the coup. If you know Rob's musical Vanishing Point, then, I mean, that's all I need to say to you. So go support Cry Eden and support Merce, and um, go to PayPal and support me while you're at it. Um, here on something new. Let's see. Ooh, I bought the Harry Potter play, and I'm reading that right now, so that's cute and fun. Um, let's see. Folio Group, we had a meeting to talk about things, uh, so stay tuned for all that kind of stuff. Uh, let's see. Recorded this episode. Um, we were gonna go do a sunset yoga class in Fort Tryon Park, and it was supposed to be on Abby's Lawn, where, wherever that is. We still don't know where Abby's Lawn is um, because we got lost and therefore did not make it to the Sunset Yoga class. I am starting to believe that Abby's Lawn is more a state of mind than an actual location in the park. Um, but, if, but if you know, <laughs> if you know where Abby's Lawn is in um, Fort Tryon Park, uh, tweet me about it. Or, um, I don't know, send me a pin if you know where that is. 
let's see what else is going on. We're starting to figure out what the something new season finale is going to look like as far as location, um, if and how Broadway World is going to get involved. Uh, spoiler alert, it's going to involve some live streaming uh, video, so that's pretty cool. Keep your ears and eyes peeled for that. I'm currently home waiting for an Amazon package. They um, And I stayed home all day. It was a wonderful excuse to not go do anything. And um, then I got an email saying, we attempted delivery. And I'm like, you are lying, sir. So um, so I called the post office and um, infor- and kindly informed that they, that they were lying. And they were very honest. They were like, yeah, um, your, your, your parcel was 2.7 pounds. And if it's over 2 pounds, they won't even take it off the truck. I'm like, wow. So, um, so that's fun. Very important, silly things in that parcel. Um, that I hope to have in my hands very soon. Um, what else is going on? That's that about does it. I mean, you know, the the album Cabot Cove is um, kind of where it was last time. Uh, the album tracks are now with MP. They're getting mixed, and I'll hear the first pass at those mixes in like a week and a half, and. Um, once we sign off on those, then she'll master them, and then we can send them to CD Baby to go up on their web- website, and then send it to start sending it to the um, replicator or duplicator or someone who's actually going to make the CDs. Um, so that's all fun. I'm getting my picture taken. It's my first headshot since 2009. Um, so that's fun. Um, by uh, my friend Jenna, who took our engagement photos. So that's all lovely. So that's happening in like a couple of weeks. Then once we have that, uh, the artwork will get finalized. Um, still waiting to hear about theme song copyright stuff from Universal. So please keep your fingers crossed for that. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the whole shebang. So without further ado, here is episode 416 with my friend Bailey Slevin and the One Train. This is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, my chance to talk with some of the savviest professionals in the world of performing arts, hear their stories, premiere a brand new original song, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted artists they have come to be. Today's guest artist is the founder of Entertaining Finance, a business management and financial consulting firm geared specifically towards creatives. She is the perfect combination of finance ninja and theater nerd. With 10 years of experience as a financial advisor and a hefty resume in theater, she is redefining planning for artists and entrepreneurs. She's worked with Certified Financial Services and Forest Hills Financial Group in finance and teaches financial literacy and well-being workshops and speaks throughout the region on the specifics of financial management for artists. Obviously, I'm talking about Bailey Slevin. Bailey Slevin, thanks for being on my show today. I'm so happy to be on your show today. I'm delighted to be here. Speaking of here, we're in your apartment. That's true. The apartment I moved into a month ago. That's insane. (laughs) 
Um, well, I'm. Am I your first house guest? You can. You're my second house guest. Okay. okay. Um, I made someone come over for brunch because I wanted to drink. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- thank you so much. This is the first time that I am a guest of my guest. Oh, that's yeah. awesome! Yeah. So this is a first. Yeah, first. Yeah. You have a lovely new home. Thank you. A month. I can't believe you only lived here a month. Well, I mean, the only two pieces of. Uh, the only things that I really like in the apartment that, like, I need to take with me are the couch, the piano, and yeah. the dog. So Aww. you've kind of got the trifecta. This is, this is perfect. Your dog is amazing. Cleo, her tongue yeah. has not gone into her mouth since I got here. Miss Cleopatra Norma Desmond is her, her full name. Wow, wow. Because I couldn't choose just one diva. No, no, we need them all. We need them all. Um, speaking of divas, Bailey, thanks for being on my show. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I found out about you a while back when I was trying to get my own finances in order. They're still a mess, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think more than one person dropped your name to me, actually. Um, you're very popular in the in a very specific niche of, of people. That's actually been really exciting recently. There have been, I'd say especially in the past six months or so, a lot of my newer clients have been referred to me by two of my existing clients or sometimes people who I don't even know, but they say, oh, you work in theater and you want to know something about your money. I heard that Bailey's the one that you have to talk to. Yeah. And like nothing is more exciting to a business owner when like you realize you have a reputation and it's good. Yeah, absolutely. And you do for sure. Before we delve too deep into entertaining finance, I, w- I want you to take me back. Bailey, where, are you, where, where are you from? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I claim New York because I was born in Queens. Uh-huh. But if we're being honest... We are. I, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's true. That's okay. My last guest, uh, Devin Elow, was a, mm. is, is a Jerseyite as well. It's actually funny. People from New Jersey... Depending on where you're from in Jersey, you answer mm-hmm. that question differently. So everyone says yeah. New Jersey first, and then people go, where in Jersey? And if you're from Bergen County, you say Bergen County. You don't give the town until someone goes, I know Bergen County. What town? And then you tell them the town. If you're from somewhere else, you just, like somewhere in southern Jersey, you're just like, yeah, I'm from Cranberry. Why are people so secretive? Or like, like they're kind of like dodging the question of like where you're from in Jersey. I think because people in Bergen County think that they're really special because it's a great school district for the most part okay. over there. I have some opinions about that, but that's for another time. Are you? For, <laughs> that's for another podcast about yeah. the New Jersey <laughs> school system. Yeah, they don't want me on that one. <laughs> so you're from Jersey. Yeah. So. Did you come into the city a lot and see a lot of theater when you were little, or...? Yeah, um, so my uncle is a talent agent. He actually owns a talent agency now. And so for my eighth birthday, it's a theater family, but for my eighth birthday, I got to go see the original production of Cats the first year that it was open. And my uncle had a client in the show. Um, So I got to go backstage before the show, and I, I got this amazing tour of this is how the makeup goes on, and these are all of the costumes, and then they even showed me the entrances to the stage. Wow. And then I sat and I saw the show. And I think that because I was taken backstage first, I was destined to never... 
really pursue my dream of performing because I had already seen what happened behind the scenes and it's so much more interesting to see all of that. And yeah, the first Broadway show that I saw, I I knew where the strings were. That's really cool. That's very unique. Yeah, it's a really cool experience. And then I tried to get in as much as as much as I could. Yeah. That's when the bug bit you. Oh yeah, I was. What was your first show that you did? The first show that I did? That's a good question. Like, what's your earliest memory of being on stage? And what were you doing? So, at the JCC in Tenafly, New Jersey, Uh um, Deborah Roberts had an acting acting class, and you all got to be in the shows. I don't remember which one was first, but we did uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and I was Kava, because I convinced them I should be Kava, because that's my Hebrew name. We did Greece, where I was the teen angel, and then... <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, okay. I did right. so many shows there, and then also shows in middle school. I just... I love performing. I was a super shy kid. Um, I'm still actually super shy, though most people don't believe that. Um, yeah. But that, like, you put me up on stage, and I was like, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah. So, that was, yeah, pretty much my entire childhood teen years was all about that I wanted to be burdened at Peter's it was very clear to me we all did I mean I still kind of do let's be honest yeah right right I mean we still want her arms oh my god she looks great she's a beast let's talk about Bernadette um so did you did you go to college after high school yeah so I was actually uh auditioning for musical theater majors uh I auditioned for NYU for, well, I got interrupted uh, from auditioning from a lot of the schools that I had applied to because I had uh, a pretty serious medical issue happen in the middle of, or the beginning of my my senior year that took me out of, took me out of school for over two weeks. And it's a pretty decent deal, totally fine now, like nothing lingering, but I wasn't able to audition for all of these schools. And so, you know, if you don't audition for musical theater programs, you don't get into musical theater programs. It's harder to get that full ride to Juilliard, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But around the same time, uh, actually, Deborah Roberts said, uh, I was doing a show, they were doing West Side Story, and I auditioned, and she pulled me aside afterwards, and she was like, look, I'm going to give you a choice. You can be in the ensemble, or you can be the stage manager. And I was like, what's a stage manager? (laughs) (laughs) And she explained it to me, and I said, well, I would much rather do that. And wow. so I started doing it and realized it was a thankless job, and then I quit promptly two weeks later, and then uh, half the cast showed up at my house. I was like, please come back. We want you to come back. And I went, oh, they know what I'm doing. Like, people act okay. And I went back, and then I changed all of my applications to stage management. No kidding. So I ended up at Emerson uh, with a theater management and production degree. Wow. That's a really cool journey. Yeah. It it was really crazy. Yeah. Um, was there any kind of, you know, did you mourn the, you know, not getting to do the, the journey that you thought you were going to go on or... Uh, my life has kind of been a, a lot of I'm heading in a very specific direction and then life throws something at me and I go, 
oh, okay, I can't do that. And about 30 seconds later, I am just full force in another direction. And it's generally not until like a year or two later where I go, oh, I think I would have liked that. Maybe I could have done something different. But by then, I'm normally really happy. If you're so far into the next thing. I just count. I'm like bumper cars. I just bounce around. (laughs) But whatever path I'm on, I'm 100% going on that path. Yeah, I believe that. So then you, you majored in stage management. I went in for stage management, and then I had another medical thing. I tore cartilage in my wrist, but they didn't know that that's what it was. So I switched my major, and uh, I actually didn't know what major I graduated with until I saw it on my diploma, but it was theater management and production. Okay. So I took theater management classes, learned about budgeting, marketing, while also stage managing all like as many shows as I could get my hands on. Yeah. So pretty much everything on how to make a show happen. And I mean, I took acting too for non-majors as well. That mm-hmm. was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of show to stage manage? Is that a weird question? No, uh, it's actually a really good question because I think everybody does have a favorite kind of show to stage manage. I love doing new musicals. Um, one, I love musicals. What a coincidence. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> um, they're just, they're fascinating, and I like I like knowing the music before anybody else does. Oh. And I, my dad, uh, my dad was a composer, so I actually grew up knowing music that no one else did. And I just find it interesting, and then watching all the people collaborate on a musical is... It's amazing, and then it like it, it always becomes a spectacle of some kind, like not like an over the top spectacle, but I love the way it comes together. Yeah, new musicals. So, do you remember the moment, or maybe there were moments where you noticed this whole other like financial aspect to your brain? So, when I was, you a- took budgeting classes in college. Uh, I mean, well. more or less. It was Emerson College, so there were only so many numbers there. Uh, when I was applying for schools, I did take a minute and go, am I going to apply for theater? Am I going to go to business school? Because I always, like I was that kid who tracked their allowance money in a peanut butter jar with a tiny um, tiny notebook and a pencil in there. So it was like every penny in was accounted for, every penny out was accounted for. Where'd you get that from? I have no idea. My parents have no idea. Like, I just started counting and hoarding my money. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) All right. Um, It wasn't actually a choice that I I made. It was... um, I was was stage managing showcases. I was working at a talent agency. I was miserable there. So I left that world and went to massage therapy school because I figured who wouldn't want to hire a stage manager with a massage therapy degree. Right. And then three weeks before graduating from there, I was in a car accident and I shattered my right arm. Uh, So that took me out of stage management, took me out of massage therapy, it took me out of everything. Like I, I destroyed the arm. I'm now seven surgeries deep 11 years later. Wow. Um, So as I was recovering, my parents at some point were like, we love paying your rent. Don't get us wrong. Uh, But are you going back to work anytime soon? And I said to them, I have no idea what I could possibly do or who would hire me. I'm in physical therapy three times a week. Like, I'm on, I'm on pain pills a lot. And I can't move my right arm at all. 
You're right-handed. I'm left-handed. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, saving grace there. So my dad, who uh, is a financial advisor and has been doing it uh, for about 35 years now, uh, he transitioned from being a composer when he started a family. Huh. Uh, He said, why don't you come work for me? You'll fill out the paperwork. We'll train you if you like it. You'll stay if you don't. You'll go back to theater and massage when you can. And I went to the first training class, and they started talking about like how money really works not just oh I can balance my checkbook and math it's like what the implications of money really are um and it was really interesting to me that like I essentially have a degree in the business of theater but nobody really taught me uh you know what the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA are it seems important Nobody taught me how my auto insurance should be put together or what a deductible was or what all these numbers meant and if they were right or wrong and if I didn't know I had choices. So the more I learned, the more I, I said I said to myself, self? self, nobody learns this. I started talking to friends and nobody gets that education. No. And it was definitely a process of me bouncing back and forth between stage managing and then finance and then venue management or being a venue manager for Nymph and then back to finance. And it was a, it was a bit of a mess there for a while, mm-hmm. but eventually I decided that I could be more beneficial to the entertainment community staying in finance than I could being another stage manager because I know so many great stage managers and so many great general managers and there aren't enough jobs for them. So if there's something else I love that can be useful, I should do that. Yeah. Do you still identify as a stage manager though? Yes. I believe that stage manager is not a job title. It is a personality trait. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't turn it off. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. I read an article recently or like some, someone was trying, someone some school district is trying to bring back the idea of home ec in high schools. Mm-hmm. I know because it was it was pretty much eliminated because of you know civil rights and feminism and, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, gender mean, roles and the whatnot. Gender roles and you know we're all you know free to be you and me. But um, but as a result, like no one knows like how to sew on a button. No one knows how to ch- balance their checkbook. No one knows these things that I guess used to be part of our. Yeah. regular educational I actually program? took a home ec class. Yeah? Yeah. It, I mean, because I thought it would be easy. Because they were like, we're going to teach you how to bake a cake and sew a button. I was like, I know how to do this stuff. Boom. Um, I, I don't even know if it should necessarily even be a home ec class so much as a life skills class. We need it. Like, I especially, and this is, you know, my soapbox... But student loans, like, when you graduate, before you graduate from high school, you have to make a choice about college that's going to affect your financial future for conceivably the next 40 years. Yeah. And nobody explains that to, to kids or parents. You're 18, you're supposed to make that kind of a decision? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's wreaking such havoc. Mm-hmm. on the lives of pretty much everyone under the age of 40 right now. Yep. It's crazy. Present company included, for sure. I mean, that's... I work with a company called Millennial Capital Partners, and one of the reasons I work with them is they specialize in dealing with student loans. 
and they know all the ins and outs and how it works and how to manage your payments. Because, I mean, you go to a theater school, you could conceivably come out of there with like $200,000 worth of student loans, and you're trying to get your equity card, so you're doing showcases and getting a whopping $300 for two months of work. Yeah. Nobody tells you that going in. No. No one does the math for you because no one wants to. I think until recently nobody even knew what the implications would be. Oh, yeah. No, I I certainly didn't when I was going into undergrad and again in grad school. I was yep. like, I was like, oh, well, what's another couple tens of thousands of dollars add to my debt? Because mm-hmm. it's already going to be there. Exactly. And then we have people graduating also with that much student loan debt. And no one ever explains the difference between student loan debt and credit card debt. Right. At least student loan debt, the interest rates are generally lower. You've got some negotiating. There are uh, income-based repayments. Yeah. Credit cards, like... They don't care. They don't care. And if you have credit card debt, you basically just spent money that you didn't have. Yeah. There's no leveraging there. It's not like you got an education for it. Maybe you got a couch for it. A couch you couldn't afford. Yeah. But hey, you could sit on that couch while the debt collectors call. It's true. While we say that, we're sitting on my lovely couch that I believe I did actually put on a credit card Did you? Because <laughs> I wanted it so badly. <laughs> Worth it. It's a beautiful couch. No one in these younger generations are getting that kind of financial education, which is where someone like yourself comes in. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually getting people coming to me younger and younger, yeah. which is great. I'm I'm working with a ton of 22 year olds right now, which like they graduate they graduate from school, and the ones who are lucky enough to book a show, uh, I've got a couple who are in Broadway cast, a couple who are touring. They book it, and they've seen the disaster. The, they have seen the disastrous effects the economy has had on their parents Mm. and they're terrified that it's going to happen to them so the first thing that they do when they get a real paycheck is they go I need someone to help me figure this out so the same thing doesn't happen to me because their first memory of of the stock market is 2008 Mm -hmm. like what they know about finance is in the movie The Big Short yeah which is like my favorite movie right now so it's really interesting that there's a swing back towards really wanting this education and yeah. wanting a plan, but then there's kind of a, like the lost generation people, like the Gen X, Gen Y, uh-huh. really more the Gen Y, where we, myself included, we're yeah. like, I'm sure it'll be fine, it'll, <laughs> I'll figure it out, it'll be okay. We're a very ignorant, optimistic generation. Yeah. I would say. I would agree with you. Speaking on behalf of my entire generation. (laughs) (laughs) I do pretty frequently. Why the specific call to help creators? Um, Because I would say mm -hmm. I would, um, I would add, like, goodness knows, like, like the arts isn't often where the money is. And I think that that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. I think that somewhere along the way, someone told artists that it was okay to be poor. It's not. In fact, it's insulting. Good artists deserve to be compensated for what they contribute to the world. I agree. And 
there is no other profession where you are allowed to work for free and call yourself a professional. Anywhere else, that's called a hobby. Mm. People don't like to hear it, but I mean, it's true. So part of why I like working with people in the arts and the creatives is to change that mindset and really bring in, I bring value, I deserve to be compensated for it. I'm going to run this like a business. Yes, I am the product as well as the business owner, but I'm going to run this like a business. And people who are in the arts have very different business structures. There are people who will not be successful in performance until they're in their 50s. That's just, like, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make you a failure. Nope. Unless you've been sitting there collecting unemployment and not doing anything else. Right. As artists, you have so many skills that you can bring to so many other sectors. Like, use them and be compensated for what you're great at and keep pursuing your initial dream. But it's all part of a business plan. Yeah. That's what my whole podcast is about, is interviewing multifaceted artists who act and do this other thing that, you know, satisfies them and puts food on the table and, um, and feeds them in other ways, too. To hear more interviews and original songs, visit the Something New archives at joelbnew.com, where you'll find conversations with other creatives who want to help you help yourself, such as holistic health counselor Farah Alvin. One of the things that we learned at Integrative Nutrition, which I think is so great, is this concept of primary food, which means that your primary food is actually not the food you eat, but the things that feed you that aren't food. So Mm. your spiritual life, your community, your physical activity life, um, you know, your create, your, did I say creativity? I didn't. Your creativity, all of those things, if we can really use those things to make us feel whole then we're not going to use food the same way. Right. Yeah, like replacing the ritual. Yeah. I mean, if I had it my way, I would be working pretty much only with people who worked in theater because that's my first love. That's not the case. I Now, I expanded to work with all freelancers because, like, freelancers are freelancers. Yeah. And they need help, too. But it's also part of a business plan. If I, if I don't have a business that's making money, then I can't go do pro bono talks for the Actors Fund. Right. Yeah. What kind of outreach do you do? You do that. So I do talks for the Actors Fund. Um, I recently spoke at uh, Barnard to a group of uh, high school students there in a program. Uh, there is Asylum Arts, which is a, a weekend retreat, which is fascinating. It's international artists. They come and they all learn each other's uh, specialty and then their like marketing classes and finance classes. Wow. Uh, and then I also speak for Theater Resources Unlimited where I'm on the board. Um, oh yeah, True. Yeah. So I do a lot of work with True and pretty much any nonprofit arts related group that says hey, we'd really like to bring what you have to our people I will go. That's, that's part of my mission. How is consulting a creative different from consulting a quote-unquote normal person? Um, that's a really good question. Like, what are some common questions or issues you come across that might be specific to our community? 
creative people go in feeling like uh, feeling like they don't know anything more often than people who have like a steady salary job. Mm. Artists come in, they're like, I don't know anything about this, and I just don't even like to think about it. And the numbers, there there are a lot of excuses that are just not necessary because. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing, like, you see a doctor because you don't know how your body works in certain ways. You see a financial advisor because you don't know how your money works in certain ways. Because you were never taught, and nobody was ever taught. Um, It's also, I mean, what I really like about it is it's so personal. Artists, it's not, we're going to plan for retirement. That's rarely a conversation that I have. Yeah. It's, we're going to plan so that I can produce this show and still make sure that my life is working. We're going to plan so I can leave my corporate job so I can pursue this full time. We're going to create a strategy so I can purchase a country house. We're going to, there are very specific goals along the way and it's not just one, I'm going to keep working and then at some point I'll stop. It's how do we actually set up the, the strategies so that wherever the the artistic impulse takes you, the finances can support it. Mm. And there's a lot of education around that. So the process that I take clients through, I'd say it's probably 75% education and 25% implementation. <laughs> Is there a therapeutic element to all this? Absolutely. Um, this is a lot of emotion. It's a lot attached. of emotion, and we actually, most of my clients, I end up uh, getting into really detailed discussions on how money was handled when they grew up, and because money's taught, and sometimes we learn what to do, and sometimes we learn what not to do, mm-hmm. but sometimes those lessons may not be the lessons we're supposed to take away. Right. <laughs> So it's very emotional, and it all comes back to this idea of the starving artist and how, like, you need to struggle for your art. There's a quote that I've always been drawn to, but now talking to you, I'm wondering if I'm not supposed to like this quote. But there's this Susan Sarandon quote where she says, like, the worst thing that can happen to an artist is if they stop starving, if they're not hungry yet anymore. I would would agree with that on a meta level, if you're not hungry for the work and hungry for the art, you have to never be satisfied right. with where you are. Now I'm just quoting Hamilton. Because <laughs> why not? Why not? But like you can't be satisfied. You have to always be working for it. I interviewed uh, Danny Burstein for the book that I'm writing. And, I mean, he's Tevia, man. Like, yeah. he's Danny Burstein. And what he said is, you work. That's, you work for it and you're always looking for the next job and you're always looking ahead and you're never satisfied, you're never stopping you work so he has a beautiful house does he? yes, I watched some video and I was, I was like, I don't understand how he and his wife have such a beautiful house they do because they work that's right Both. I mean, Danny Burstein and Rebecca Luker probably the hardest working some of the hardest working actors on Broadway because they know that's what they want and they've created this beautiful life for themselves Uh they've got kids everyone's well taken care of like that's 
almost all the artists that I interviewed for the book said uh, said essentially like don't tell me that I can't be upper middle class in New York City just because I perform I'm allowed to have that mm-hmm. and if the people who say you have to struggle for your art like there are tons of ways to struggle you don't have to be broke to struggle like (laughs) there are lots of ways to do that and a funded artist makes better art than a non-funded artist because they can like if you have money behind you it's easier to make an album yeah i actually got really mad at the show rent for quite some time why is that when i first came to this conclusion i was like this is just like telling people it's okay to live somewhere and be freeloaders and just wait for you your like to be successful. Yeah, yeah. The I got bohemian really, yeah, lifestyle. I got really mad at it, but it's rent, so like I yeah. I can't keep hating. Yeah, we're not gonna pay. Do you feel like you're a personal trainer in any way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've started actually comparing the beginning steps of saving and becoming financially healthy to starting a Bikram yoga practice. <laughs> Because, like, the first time you go to a Bikram yoga class, you're like, this is awful. I want to vomit. Yeah, I, I just, I'm so uncomfortable. Why do these carpets this, smell like yeah. this? Oh, my, everything is, and you know what? That's how it feels the first time you save money. You want to vomit and yeah, you're why like, do the this, carpets smell like this? And you're like, it's just one class. It's just one time saving. It doesn't make a difference. And then three <laughs> times into that, the Bikram class, you're like, all right, I think I get it. I don't like it, but I get yeah. it. And that's how it is like three months into saving for the first scheduled savings that you implement. And then for the beeper, by the time you're like six months in going three times a week, you're like, yes, I can't wait for it. I feel amazing. You're telling everyone else about it. By the time you're a year into savings, you look at the amount of money you have in your account and what's happening with all your investments. You're like, I can't wait to do more of this. It's really exciting, but you have to you have to get through the tough part. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing with anything new that you do. Nothing is comfortable the first time we do it. Yeah. What is it, like 21 days to form a new habit? Yeah, I think I've heard yeah. that. Oh. Tell me about this book that you keep on alluding to. The book that I claim I've been writing for quite some time? Um, it's, yes, yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, it's, it's almost done, actually. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to start... Uh, I may self-publish so that it's available on the website and people can buy individual chapters. Oh, nice. And maybe do some videos that go along with it. Okay. Um, it's called Entertaining Finance, an Oversimplified Guide to Common Financial Products. I will buy this book. And basically, it's me exactly the way that I talk, uh, explaining money and financial theory and financial products. And getting a little bit on my soapbox about why I think, uh, basically the stuff we, we were talking about here, like why student loans are awful, why we shouldn't do the same thing that our parents' generation did, why education is so important. And the big point of the book also is that this is not meant as a to-do list. Like, this is not a book, it's not like a Susie Orman book where it says, I know what everyone in the world should do with their money. This is, hey, this is the, these are the things that you should know so you can walk in and meet with a financial advisor and feel prepared. It's mm. basically a primer so you can start learning the language and feel comfortable um, 
and not apologetic. And it's geared towards creatives as well. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Lots of pictures. That's how I, <laughs> that's how I roll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There may be a couple of show references. I and love it. the chapter on assets might also say, haha, I said ass. And then <laughs> talk about different kinds of asses, like dancer butts or flat butts. And then it's like, no, no, I, that's not what we're talking about. Sorry about it. We're talking about like savings accounts, not not assets. Not my ass. bad. If you could offer up one bit of free advice here for my listeners in the world of entertaining finance, what would that be? Start saving right now. And it doesn't matter how much. If you can save a dollar a week, save a dollar a week. Put it in a peanut butter jar. If you can save five dollars a week, set up an auto draft from your checking to your savings for five dollars a week. Find an amount that you won't even notice is gone. Most people, if I snuck into their homes and stole five bucks a week, they would just one day go, oh, I guess I'm going to get a grande instead of a venti. Like, that would be the impact. Yeah. Save that money. Just start. Just create the habit, and eventually you start to have goals and love it. But start today. doesn't matter how much. It, I can't stress enough how little the amount matters. Also, side note, Bailey Slevin will break into your home and steal five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, one final question. What, what do you believe has been, because like, you have such a colorful background, and, I th- and you've mentioned that it's, you know, these sharp turns that have happened, just like life has thrown these these curves for you and you've run with them full throttle like what do you think has been the key to your success like what has helped you be able to not like sit down and cry instead of like moving on oh i know i definitely sit down and cry. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> i just wanted to hear you say uh, oh no yeah. i'm like i'm no comic book hero <laughs> like i sit down and cry and i ponder and i wonder if i make the right choices what keeps me on path is that looking back I actually see a really clear connection between everything that I've done I do too it's all about organization and guidance and it all comes back to working with people in the arts even when I was going to be a massage therapist it was about people in the arts all I want to do is make the artistic community stronger and better and somehow contribute to the amazing things that happen and I want to do it in the way that I am the most helpful and yeah you know what sometimes it totally sucks working in finance and telling people that you only want to work with people in the arts like the looks you get are awful and you sit around and you go am I am I an idiot like if it were a good business plan wouldn't someone else have already done it and like so many people have told me this was this is like the worst idea I could possibly have as a financial advisor. But it's <laughs> it's the least financially sound yeah. idea. But <laughs> I want to work with my people and I want to help them in the best way that I can and to my knowledge there is no one else doing what I am doing for the arts community. That's amazing. If I weren't holding my phone right now I'd clap. You know what? <laughs> 
Thank you. It feels really good. I'll, I'll actually add a sound effect while people clap right now. Yay! <laughs> Everyone loves you. Exactly. What was that supposed to always signify? Like, like that, that sound of... I have no idea, but I do. Yeah, we're all supposed to, like, that's supposed to, like, sound like a large crowd, right? I guess it's maybe, like, a stadium of clapping people, because you can't hear the individual hits. So it's just like, it's just like a fog whisper, like, like a Bikram breath. Yeah. I've never understood that. That's beautiful. I can't do it. I can't either, not at this moment. Are you working? Now it's time to set up the song. If that's okay with you. Yeah. And it's okay with Cleo. Cleo. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this dog, y'all. Let's take a photo. Um, so. Follow her on Instagram, Balesabub. Balesabub. At Balesabub on Twitter and Instagram. I try to be funny. Amazing. I will, I will include links with this episode. Uh, so, Bailey was kind enough to learn and perform a brand new song that I wrote just for her called Sorry Song. And, um, let's see, when I talked to Bailey, because, like, originally, like, didn't, like, Alex Rubin reached out to me? Yeah. As, um, she, she's like, you know who would make a great guest? Belly Slevin. I was like, I adore Bailey Slevin. Um, she will not adore my finances. <laughs> but, but I would love to talk to her about anything else. Common reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she won't like that, but, man, I'd love to hang out with her. Um... So so then we did some back and forth, and then finally when I like had you on my schedule, I reached out, and I was like, oh, and don't forget there's the song part. And you were like, what? What's, what song part? But, um, but you were like, you know what? Sounds scary. Let's do it. Which is like one of my favorite reactions in the world. Um, and so you mentioned, I was, I was like, well, what's in your book? Like, what's in your book? <laughs> and what did you say? Well, what, what, what song did you turn me toward? Oh, the How Do I Live, the Leanne Rhymes version. Mm-hmm. I've been singing that since the 90s. <laughs> Haven't we? Oh. So, um, so I was like, all right, country girl, country girl. So, um, so I listened to some country pop. And um, to be honest, y'all, I was a little blocked. I didn't know, I didn't know what to write. And, until I had a phone call with a friend who was going through a hard time. And um, and they told me this little tidbit in their lives, and that they also knew that I was feeling a little stuck. And at the end of the conversation, they said, "If you want to use this for a song, you can." <laughs> I was like, and like you could hear my ears perk. I was like, "Really?" And they were like, "Really?" I was like, "Okay." So there, um, this like kernel of of a true story. Um, I ran with it and wrote "Sorry Song" and just blew it up. Um, in, in a big, fun way. Um, so I'm really glad that that someone told me that story, and I'm really glad that you liked the song. It was so much fun. Thank you. Terrifying for me. <laughs> yeah? And fun. But you were great, as you're all about to hear. Um, so remember, boys and girls, this performance, will, you're, which you're about to hear, will also be available to stream on SoundCloud and brand new this season on YouTube. So check it out everywhere. Uh, be sure to follow me on all things... Oh, and I play guitar on this, which um, which is still a relatively new venture for me. And that was another way I got um, unstuck, was that I was like, well, I'll write it on guitar, because I never write songs on guitar. And that was a nice... Um, I don't know, that kind of got me out of my head, too. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling blocked, 
try writing on a different instrument, or try writing in a different genre, or call a friend. Maybe something really f***ed up happened to them. You never know. Um, and then make a song about it, and it's all better. Uh, be sure to follow me on all things social media, and you may find those links and so much more on jolbynew.com. Uh, also go to entertainingfinance.com to learn more and start adulting, you adults um, and pre-adults. Um, so we already talked about your dog social media presence. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where are you on the social media? So uh, the pug and I pretty much share a social you, media you, you presence. You are one and the same. Uh, because I am not good at the Twitters or the Instagrams. Um, and I've decided to take a short break from the Facebook because Facebook memories are cruel. Oh my gosh. They are cruel and rude. Mm -hmm. And I just had to take a little break. Are you talking about time hop? Yeah. Uh, when they're like, Hey, this happened to you seven years ago. And you're like, I wanted to forget that day. Thanks. Thanks Facebook. Yeah. Um, I took three months off recently and it was like the best thing I ever did for myself yeah I'm in the middle of my two months off and I'm enjoying it and I'm yeah. spending more time on the Twitter and the Instagram mm-hmm. so for for me personally it's at Beelzebub as in um, the um the the biblical character like Beelzebub but spelled with my name like B-A-I oh Baal Zibub Beelzebub yeah. I like that and then entertaining finance is at uh also has a, a Twitter thing okay. that I should probably get back on doing that. But also, uh, I write for Backstage.com. Yeah, you do. I'm their financial expert. Uh, so, uh, my most recent article on legacy and how you can create one, both financially and emotionally, uh, should be coming out pretty soon. Awesome. And then the next one, I think, will be called... Is your rent too much? <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I read your first one, and it was uh, it was it was a great great read. Thank you. I try to keep them entertaining, if you will. If you will, and we will. Uh, subscribe to, rate, review this podcast. Tell your friends all about it. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Stephanie Layton, who does my graphic design. Peyton Royal, who manages my website. Joel Dickinson, who has written the outro music that's happening right now. And uh, last but not least, Bailey Slevin. Thank you for being on my show. So happy to be here. I was happy to have you. Thank you um, for also hosting us. Welcome. Great. <laughs> and now I'm going to go. <laughs> um, from Bailey's apartment, this is Joel B. New. And Bailey Slevin. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new. Oh my god. Daddy, we just... You were so well behaved. So good.
Mara lives on the yacht. I didn't tell you that? Oh. I understand it if you're gonna go looking for your marijuana. If I were with me, I'd probably smoke a lot too. But I sort of needed some cash. And I sort of tried to sell your stash to an undercover cop. I panicked and I said I worked for you.